Hey friends, you know that Facebook Live, Instagram Live, I suppose Clubhouse as a live medium is out, LinkedIn Live, but with all these live streaming services out there, are you really leveraging live stream marketing? Probably those that are, are still doing it and consistently doing it and realize the value, but there's an overwhelming majority that aren't doing it, that don't see the value. Today's episode, we're gonna bring on a good friend and amazing author and person, Christoph Trapp, to give you some advice on the why and how of live streaming. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Welcome to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast with Neil Schaefer, where I help marketers, entrepreneurs, and business owners Grow their businesses using innovative marketing techniques, leveraging the concept of digital influence throughout digital and social media. Welcome to another episode of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. This is episode number 204, and today I have a special guest. He is known as a content marketing and storytelling expert. He is a serial author. Just go on to Amazon and you'll find tons of books that he's written, Get Customer Focused, Get Real, Telling Authentic Stories for Long-Term Success, Content Performance Culture. He also has his own podcast called The Business Storytelling Podcast. And finally, just recently, he released a new book all about live streaming called Going Live. Live stream your podcast to reach more people. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, let's get to my interview and all the advice that he's gonna give all about live streaming, my interview with Christoph Trapp. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Today I have someone that I've known for many years and I first found out about him, you'll hear his name briefly, is when I ran a conference, I co-founded a conference called the Social Tools Summit. This is man, I want to say 2014, 2015, we ended up having four events across Boston and San Francisco Bay Area slash Silicon Valley. It was awesome. Had some great keynotes, Dave Kirpin, uh, Christopher Femme, Michael Brito, to to name a few. Sue Zimmerman came early on in her days in Instagram. And just, it was, we we built this really great community. Unfortunately, uh, the fun didn't last a long time, but that is how I I got to know Christoph. And and Christoph, I don't think we ever actually had you at the event, but I know that you were one of the strong contenders to speak. And you've always been about content marketing and not just content marketing, about storytelling. So today's guest is Christoph Trapp. And Christoph, tell me, how did you get started? Just, you know, we're going to get to what you're doing today because I know you're really excited and I am as well for your new book. But tell me how you got started on this journey of content, content marketing, storytelling. Yeah, you bet. Neil, thanks for having me. Good to see you again. That is a long time ago. <laughs> it's like Indeed. a lifetime, six years um, or seven years, I guess now. Oh my goodness. So basically I grew up as a journalist. I went to school to be a sports writer, never worked a day as, in my life as a sports writer, went right into public safety reporting, investigative reporting. And of course I learned how to tell stories then. And then of course, at some point I made the jump over into corporate marketing, corporate communications. And, you know, that's kind of what happened back then. We didn't even call it content marketing, but that's really um, what I started doing. And content marketing is very similar 
to journalism at the core. Now, we're different stories, but you still have to tell a story that people want to consume, right? That people want to uh, engage with. And I'm telling you, there's so much corporate crap out there. And if you haven't heard, crap is uh, stands for content really annoying to people. That's not the content you want to create. You want to create stuff that people want to consume that's helpful, that's sometimes entertaining. So that's kind of, I don't know, my life mission. How do you do that? How do you do it with the current channels and always keep evolving? That's great advice. And I love how every one of our guests, I, I love asking that question because we all bring different perspectives to the game and that that's what makes our insight really unique. So thanks for sharing that. And you know, when I remember there were a lot of journalists that were losing jobs and, you know, with, with the advent of, of the internet and, and, you know, what have you, but I always thought that those people are so gifted at storytelling and writing that there's got to be lots of companies that would love to have them on staff. Now, I think a lot of companies, and I guess I'm included, a lot of us get stuck in the more technical SEO need to write for a keyword and forget that, well, even if that really bad content happens to get exposed for that keyword, if someone comes and, and looks at your content and doesn't like it and leaves immediately, you, you, you've lost the, those rankings, right? So you really need to have a, a mix of, and I'm sure you talk about this as well, of, of the science and the art and the art being that storytelling. And really that's what people resonate with, right? And I, I think it's funny, you know, we always say that people resonate more with visual than with text, but I think within the text, people really resonate with stories, right? I mean, that's, I know that you do a lot of speaking around the world before coronavirus. That's what I, one of the first bits of advice I always got was Neil, always try to tell stories. It's the stories that people remember. Do you find this to be the same case with textual content and storytelling? I mean, absolutely. But what's different today is, you know, people always ask me, do you want people to read this content? So I just finished a thousand word article the other day, I had like a 2000 word article. And people always say, well, do you want people to read this? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Realistically, most people won't read it, right? Most people will skim it. So you have to figure out how do you create content for all these different audiences, not just the personas that you have, but also you got to create it for the search engine. So they know what you're talking about, quite frankly. Then you have to create it for the people who actually are going to read it. So it has to be something that's worth reading in full. And then you finally have to create it for people that are just skimming. And I do that all the time. Like I just, I had an article the other day, Neil, it's like a 15 minute read. I bet you most people will skim that article, but they can, they can get stuff out of it, you know? So you have to find that mix, but you have to have a good story and you can't just say the same old crap like everybody else. I mean, if I, if I have to hear one more marketing blog, tell me that I need to create good content because people care about good content. I'm going to throw up. Like, what does that even mean? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. uh, that's a white definition right there. And just out of curiosity, since I have an expert in the room, when you talk about being able to please the the reader who's also a skimmer, is this making use of elements like different size headers, bullet points, and okay, which I mean, I think that's the best practice for SEO as well, because if it's skimmable for the reader, it's skimmable for Googlebot as well, right? Absolutely. And that's really what it comes down to. You have headlines. I mean, I so I was actually writing an article earlier in Google Drive, and it was driving me crazy because usually I write in WordPress. And WordPress, of course, immediately Yoast gives me feedback on the article, right? It tells me, okay, you're, you're good on SEO, you're good on readability. And I don't get that in Google Drive, not immediately. And yeah. so it drives me crazy. I'm like, I'm on the right track. Is it good? Is it bad? And so, yes. And what I was going to tell you is Yoast pings you if your article, uh, if you don't have a headline every 300 words, roughly. So that's a good 
good rule of thumb, you know, if you have a, now I'm going to do math in public, 1500 word article, you know, you got to have at least five sub headlines, you know, so. I don't realize that, which is a good thing because I, I use headlines religiously for, for the reasons you mentioned. And I'm just curious, one of the, the things that I've had with my own writing, and I'm going back into some of my old posts and republishing them is really long paragraphs. So I just make a rule. If I see, if I see a paragraph that's like longer than six or seven lines in WordPress, I, I will hack it up. Do you have similar rules as far as paragraph length? Because I'm, I'm sure that's something that makes something very unreadable. Well, I try to make it that it actually makes sense that there's a new headline, that there's a new paragraph, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a content strategist, quite frankly, and I need to, like, I can't have articles that are not all green, you know, and yeah. most of the stuff on, so, so of course, for those of you that don't know, Yoast gives you green, um, orange, and then completely red, you know, and you want to, I think there might be a yellow in there. I'm not sure, but so I want them to be green because at the end of the day, the stuff I write about, it's not that technical that it should be pinged down, like, because, oh, I have to use this big word, this big word is tripping up the score that happens in healthcare, sometimes doesn't happen in what I do currently. So but yeah, so I'm, I'm totally go after that. There was my funny story was a uh, Yoast said, you have three sentences that start with the same word, that's not good for SEO. But it wasn't even sentences, it was like three bullet points, they all had the same first word. So I it took me five minutes to find figure out what they were talking about. So then I fixed it, you know, because I want green. I'm competitive. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm curious on that note that we've seen over the last 12 to 24 months, this emergence of these AI infused natural language processing infused sort of tools that can help you better write content, not necessarily from a storytelling perspective, but if you want to rank for this sort of keyword, these are the topics that you probably want to cover because the top 20 search results are already showing this content. So how has your experience been with those tools? I'm sure you're aware of them. Do you recommend them? Do you use them? Well, I recommend all the new tools and, and one, but, but there's a caveat a little bit here you have to think about is if you spend all this time analyzing things and you never, ever get to creation and yeah. you never, ever get to publishing, it won't work, right? Because so I, I always joke when, when somebody, you know, when, when somebody is, 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 let's say there's a bottleneck or something in an article, I say, well, this article is not going to perform. And then they say, well, why not? And I say, well, because it hasn't published, you know, it's, it can't perform. <laughs> and, you know, I know it's, some people might say that's passive aggressive, but it is the truth. And so, yes, I try to use all the new tools, but try to figure out the right balance. So for example, yeah. Uh, Google Question Hub is a fantastic new tool. In my opinion, a lot of people think it's not because it's very, very specific, you know? So Google Question Hub really quickly, Google puts all the questions that they couldn't find answers to in there. So oh, wow. you can, right? And so if they don't know, if they couldn't find an answer, you can go in there and you can claim that question and say, oh, I got an answer for that question. And some of them are very, very specific. Like, what color is Christoph's hair under his head when he doesn't wear a hat, right? Well, the answer is he no color. It's He's bald. But at the end of the day, very specific. But if you cover some of those things in a longer article, you can link to that article. It doesn't mean you have to have like a whole article on that one thing. And of course, now Google has the passage ranking, not indexing, but you know, 
show specific passages on your page as opposed yeah. to rank the whole page. So I love that tool and you can submit and you can see, and I've actually had some success on there. I saw some articles, you know, go from spot number 11 to spot number five because I submitted them to there. So yeah, use all the tools you can. But at the end of the day, if you spend 38 hours analyzing and two hours creating, you're not going you're not going to win. Yeah. And I want to remind people listening that getting back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, I find a lot of people, especially in the content space, there's one tool that I use and I don't need to name names, but I'm part of their Facebook group and I actually sign up for notifications. I want to know what people are thinking about this tool. And there are so many people who, who are looking for the tool to actually write the content for them. And like, no, that's not the point of the tool, right? At the end of the day, it still has to be human written and those concepts of storytelling, right? Of everything that you've talked about and tonight. I think a lot of people forget about that when they think about the tool. So just wanted to, I'm sure, I know you're not in agreement here in the Zoom, just wanted to throw that out there. So we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Well, sort of shifting gears because obviously there is a lot of type of content that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a marketer, you obviously have the four main content types, right? You have audio, text, video, photo. And you know, I know you're writing a new book or it's gonna be published by the time this episode is published. So I'll have you introduce that. But I know that that book is about live streaming. And what's really interesting, my own journey. So before live streaming, I guess, well, obviously live streaming has been around even before Facebook Live. We had, I'm trying to remember the name of that site. One of my clients used it. it it's already lost. But before Facebook Live and what have you, we had sites where you could go live. And, and then in marketing, we had like Twitter chats. And, and I could never do my own Twitter chat because I couldn't invest. And Christoph, I'm sure you as well. There's so much travel that you do. It's really hard to invest being in the same time zone, the same time, the same day of the week, every week. So I never did that. And then Facebook Live came around, same thing. I never did that. But what's really interesting is now we have the emergence of Clubhouse. And I've actually simulcast some of my podcast interviews that I'm doing with you now. I'm not simulcasting this one, but I've simulcast on Clubhouse. And now I'm committed to saying, hey, every Monday at 9 a.m., I'm going to be on Clubhouse for an hour. And I've applied for a club and what have you. But it's interesting that now I can make the time, probably because of coronavirus, but I also see the ROI in developing relationships there. And it's made me look at live stream in a new light. It's like, well, if I can do it on Clubhouse, I could, and I was a guest on a podcast where he was doing Facebook Live, it was over Zoom, and he was simulcasting on Clubhouse. That's what got me thinking, right? And he was able to include the Facebook Live listeners into the conversation, have them ask questions at the end and make it very interactive, which I thought was brilliant. So I'm probably touching upon some of the things that you talk about in your book, but I want to first start with, you mentioned that this evolution of live as a differentiator. Let's let's start with there. And why do you see it as such a strong strategic differentiator in content these days? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I do want to, before we forget, I want to get back to how they live stream to Clubhouse and Facebook at the same time. I'm interested in hearing about that. Not that I'm the question asker here on the show, but- Oh no, it's, it's low tech. So when I do it, Right yeah. now, I'm listening just as a podcaster. I'm listening to, you know, with Christoph over Zoom. My headphone is actually plugged into my microphone. I literally unplug it. I have your voice come out over the speaker. I'm speaking into the microphone and I have my iPhone 
on speakerphone. So I am the only one presenting. Even if you're speaking, it's still coming from me. So it's a very low tech way. And there are people, when I mention this, oh, you should get, you know, the road mixing board with ATR, you know, it's only $600. And it's like, okay, I'm like the DIY guy. I want to keep it very low tech. And, and, you know, right now for Clubhouse, it's fine. Clubhouse is raw. It's real. I know that there are going to be some people that are going to do it very high tech and have the same podcast mic on Clubhouse. I don't think it's necessary right now. Maybe different in in the future, but yeah, it's really easy to do actually. Yeah, so I actually tried that part as well. So did Pam Didner. We we actually emailed about that strategy. Yes. But anyway, yes, so- and I told Pam about it. I was she was on. <laughs> I interviewed her like a week ago. Yeah, and then she got on Clubhouse and started doing it. Yeah, exactly. At small so, world. funny small world. We all know <laughs> each other. So, but but anyway, the, the differentiator here. So here's really what it comes back to, right? Where are people? How are we going to reach them? And Clubhouse for me right now, it is there is a chapter in the book about it. Kind of talks about what you wow. just mentioned to Excellent. an extent. But it's, I'm not going to invest much time in it. And here's the reason why. And here's what I think brands should think about. Six years ago, have you said, if you said to me, what's the centerpiece of your content strategy? I would have said the blog, you know, blog about the stuff people want to find and then repurpose over and over and over. Well, now everybody's blogging. Not some don't do it very well, but, you know, people are still blogging. Then all of a sudden we got the second win for podcasts. Everybody's now doing a podcast, you know. In fact, some people I talk to, they're like, oh my goodness, no, we don't have any openings. And even my podcast, you know, I'm booked until a couple months out, you know, and yep. I don't have any time to book any more people yep. right now. So I'm thinking, okay, but if we want to use all these channels, what's the best way to do it? And the best way to do it, in my opinion, is do you do a live stream first, and then you do a podcast, and then you write articles, and then, you know, you do whatever else you got to do after that. And the way it lo- and the way that's important is a lot of companies have built these social communities. They've built their LinkedIn page, they've built their Facebook page, they built their Twitter account, whatever. But they're not doing everything in front of those groups, right? So if you take your podcast, so if this conversation, if you know, I would just stream it to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to YouTube, to Twitter. So I'm reaching all those audiences right away, and I have hundreds of views, or when you start, you know, you got hundreds of views. And what's good about that is when a brand starts a new podcast, especially, as you know, when you start a new podcast, you're going to maybe have 20 downloads, 30 downloads, if you're lucky. So now, when you first start, unless you put some money behind it, and but now you put it on live first, and now you can go back and you can say, we had 800 downloads, 800 listens, you know, of this show. Now, most of them will be from live. Now, at some point, it might tip, when your podcast takes off and you might have more on the podcast than you have on live, but it's another way to get in front of people. It's another way to actually be authentic. And I'll give you another example. It's very hard for people to fake being nice if they're not nice on a 30 minute call like this. Right. So if I'm a, if I'm a jerk at some point, it's going to come through, right? I can't fake it that long. I mean, I'm not a jerk, I, I hope. But, and when you go live, you are live. And what you're actually doing, so don't tell the executives this, but you're kind of taking away the power of the edit from people. So what you're doing is, so instead of giving people the power of the edit, you're giving them the power of being authentic, right? And so now whatever they say is already live. Now you can still edit it out in the podcast, but why? Like, don't say it, right? So it actually makes the production easier. It actually helps you get better conversations with the experts. And then of course you get way more reach when you when you do that. So that's kind of how I've evolved that. And what's interesting to me, you know, I did those networks to Meerkat, Periscope in the early days, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, Blab. 
they were like one, one, one network at a time, right? So now what I do is I stream to all the networks at once. And, you know, that's, it's been, so it's the same setup, like how I'm sitting here now. I basically talk to the camera. I got the comments up here. I use my iPad, depending on which, which I got two platforms I use, uh, two, two, two companies. One is on the iPad, one is on the computer, depending what I use, I look at different things, but, but it's very efficient. It's very like, I'm getting it everywhere it needs to go. And then also YouTube doesn't perform very well for me at all, but I don't really care because now it's already on YouTube. So if it ever takes off, I didn't do any extra work. You know, it's already there. The end. So yeah. And by the way, it was Ustream was the company I was thinking of. Yes. They still exist too. I think. Do they really? Wow. Okay. Those are really, really good points. It's funny because people are like, well, brands need to be more human, need to be more authentic. Well, there's no more authentic way than showing up live on camera. And you know, for me, when I experimented with this in Clubhouse, two things I realized. Number one is that a lot of people are on Clubhouse because they want to engage. They want to be able to go up on stage. So if it's a simulcast, it's a one-way conversation, right? It's not too cool. But on the other hand, just like you have some people that only want to skim and you have some people that want to read the entire blog, there were people that were there for the entire hour. And I don't care if it's 20 people or 10 people or one person, that's an extra person that I'm reaching. And that person is going to be a way bigger fan of me and my content, or if I'm a brand, because they've invested an hour of their time in me, right? The same reason my podcasts are so powerful. They make the live streams really powerful. So I agree with you. And it, it is a digital reach, no matter where you think about it. I, I have heard, I did have a gentleman named uh, Stefan Spencer. And by the time this publishes, I think his episode will publish about YouTube SEO. And he did say the algorithm just does not rank live stream videos. So we're on Facebook. I've seen incredible results after the live videos archived. It just still gets views, right? But with YouTube lives, that doesn't seem to be the case. Don't know why that may change, but that's that's the comment he made. I just wanted to share that with you because my YouTube lives never do well. My static videos always outperform those for whatever reason. But it's additional audience, as you said, right? And there are tools like StreamYard that make it really easy to you know publish once and go everywhere. So. I love that as, as a differentiator. And it's really funny because a lot of brands now finally, well, at least in, in B2B SaaS tools, a lot of these companies now have Facebook groups and they're creating those communities. But obviously now if you live stream into those groups, you've now taken that relationship to a much deeper level. So I love that. So based on everything that I talked about and everything that you talked about, okay, we get the idea of, of the live stream and we can reach a lot of people. There's a lot that goes into just like a podcast, right? There's a lot that goes into planning and the strategy. So I'm already doing content marketing. I'm already doing digital marketing and social media marketing. How do I integrate live streams into our marketing strategy? Well, so my theory is, and and the way I implement it currently is I make it the centerpiece of everything. And what's funny is the people that work with me way back in the day at MedTouch, for example, you know, we would interview doctors and then we write articles about it, right? And this is no different except the interview is live. That's the only difference. So I make that my centerpiece of content gathering, you know? So I, I ask you questions. I find out what we need to talk about. And then I write something from it. And then I trigger all these different campaigns of that content. There's certainly other ways to do it, but I find that very, very efficient because you, you no content ever goes unused. What I would not recommend is to come up with a live stream strategy on its own. Please don't. Integrate it into everything else you're doing. Find a way to, to maximize what you're doing on the live stream. Use it on other places, whether it's an article, whether it's social, 
whether it's different things and then kind of see what takes off, you know, maybe it's the life, maybe you need to focus more time on the live stream and less time on blogging. It's always, it's, I'm not going to slow anything down on blogging, Neil, honestly, but it's so fascinating to me because a live stream like takes me this much time, but an article and a blog post takes yeah. me this much time. Right. I agree. Yeah. And, and like, sometimes the live streams, like, it's like, 12 fold or something from the article, but it took me a fraction of the time. So at some point you wonder, well, how, how should you flip it? And, and I still think you need something on your website because who knows what's going to change in live streaming at some point. And, you know, so, so don't neglect that, but make it part of everything, make it part of the overarching strategy for sure. That's really great advice. And I'm going to give a shout out to Amy Woods, a content 10X podcast, one of my favorites, and she's brilliant. And it's all about repurposing. And if you think about, you know, content repurposing, if you do a live stream, that's the ultimate, it's the trifecta because you got, you have video, you have audio from that, which you could repurpose into a podcast. And obviously you could repurpose that into a blog post. I am of the thinking that a live stream as is into a podcast, that was my issue was that I was talking to people in the live stream so that when people listen to a podcast, it was weird that I was calling out these names. And then I see a lot of blog posts being created from that, that are just transcripts that don't really offer a lot of value. So I try to repurpose them into separate blog posts and separate audios, but an easy way of doing it would be just to take that and, and repurpose. Do you cover sort of the art of repurposing in your book and what, you know, any recommendations you have based on what I just talked about and, and, and the issues that I have with, with repurposing? Yeah, absolutely. So I do talk about that. How do you do it? When do you do it? Also, the other thing is, um, there's also repurposing issues, so to speak, on the different networks. I'll give you an example. So I always have a countdown, right, when I start my, my live stream, because it takes a minute to go to all the networks, people need a minute to show up, whatever. And then I usually have an intro clip, right? So the Real Talk show, for example, it's like it's highly produced. It's really cool, you know, has music, whatever. And but the people that listen on the watch on the replay, they don't need all that. They don't need the countdown. They should just start. So in YouTube, you can now trim it. In LinkedIn, you can now trim it. So it's super cool. So that's like the first thing I do. Add cards on YouTube, update the LinkedIn stream. And then after that, I put on the podcast channel. And I do edit out some things, ums and ahs, but I would not get into it. People don't care. And also silence. I said this to Scott Monty and Scott said, what a waste of time to edit out silence. Apps do this for you now. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes like Google podcast player. You click trim silence, like it trims it for, for you. Like, why do you need to spend an hour to trim out silence if everybody does it automatically? So I'm very picky on what I edit and what I don't edit. You know, in fact, somebody the other day said, we don't edit for what we say. We only edit for technical issues. I think that was actually Jen Vogel at Fox Pop Me. She said that, which is kind of funny because ums and ahs, if it's really over the top, cut them out, but don't overdo it. Right. Yeah. And then be very strategic over what you want to update what you want to produce after the fact. For example, let's say we're talking about it. So we're talking about a unique topic, but let's say you have 10 other episodes with related topics about live streaming, for example. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be writing 10 articles about live streaming, right? You can do yeah. one article and just keep updating it. And I think as a journalist, especially when you grow up as a journalist, you forget about this because you're so trained in creating new. You don't always have to create new. You know, sometimes you update something old or sometimes, you, you know, you do that. So just keep that in mind. There's always a way to repurpose. And sometimes it's as simple as taking the new podcast or the new live stream and embedding it into an old article. The end. You're done. 
Amen. I'm thinking of like the NPR approach too, where you have five different people talking about the same subject. That's one article as if you were interviewing five people, right? Right. And people actually, you know what, when I send that to people, when I add their podcast into or their live stream into one article, that's really long. They appreciate it. Like when people, I had an article on how to be creative, had like Adam Morgan in it from Adobe, Seth Godin and other people. And they all were like, oh, awesome. This is really in depth. And it was really just, you know, five conversations. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great advice. I haven't seen many people do that and they probably should be doing it. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, less is more. At some point, you already have all the content you need, right? It's it's time to build asset with that content. That's a great way to do that. So thank you for that. So we we understand, you know, the, the power of live stream today, which I think is different than it might've been a few years ago. We now understand how to integrate it into our strategy instead of creating a separate strategy. What are some sort of tools and tricks of the trade? I think you already brought up some of these, but are there any additional things that the listeners should be aware of that can help them? So my biggest advice is, Stop the excuses that you don't have the right equipment. Yes, I got a fancy mic now. Yes, I got a 4K camera. I got a ring light that's giving me a headlight, a headache because I'm looking (laughs) at it. You know, I got an iPad over here. I got all this stuff now. I got this gaming chair that's wonderful to sit in when you do lives. I mean, seriously, it's all new. I just bought this stuff like four months ago. Before then, I used my AirPods, you know, to record podcasts. I think when you were on my show, I'm pretty sure I didn't have all this stuff. I was just talking on my phone. So stop the madness about that you need all this equipment to get started. You don't, if you have a phone, you can get started, the end. Now, as you're growing your show, there comes a time when you do want to have better audio. There comes a time where you're going to be nitpicky about how it looks exactly. You know, it does make it different to have a light, you know, I mean, everything here, if you take the chair out, it's probably, you know, a couple hundred bucks, not even, you know, so it's not that expensive if you think about it. And you already have a computer, I'm assuming. So some of those things get them, but don't let them stop you from starting. That's my advice. Now, then for technology, there's many, many tools out there that you can use. The two that I currently, first of all, you don't need any of the tools to live stream. If your audience is on Facebook, just go to Facebook and live stream to Facebook. The end. Seriously. Like, you know, what I do now is I'm streaming to Amazon, Twitter, Periscope, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, I also did Twitch. Uh, Nobody really watched there, but it was kind of cool to be able to say we're streaming to Twitch. And, you know, so, but I use uh, Switcher Studio on my iPad. That's really nice to produce shows with. I really like it. You You can only push to one channel from switcher so it's really a production tool right Mm -hmm. but but if i go to amazon only for some shows that shouldn't go anywhere else i use switcher but i like how you can produce the show how you can make it look how you can do things so you know i use it for that and then if i want to go to multiple channels i push switcher to restream and then restream you can push to like 30 channels at once depending on your plan Right. And so that's, that's how I use that. Now, sometimes you can also produce in Switcher. It's a little bit of a different setup, but I'm actually, you know, the day after we record this, I'm doing a webinar, believe it or not, on my live channels. So what I'm doing is I'm using Switch Restream directly for that webinar because you can invite 10 people. There's like six people on the webinar. So, you know, good, good luck to me to keep everybody in line. I'll, I'll report back later yeah. as the host. But so those are the tools I use. And then, of course, as you learn them, it kind of depends on what you're trying to do, you know, how you're doing it. There's plenty other tools that you can use. Some people are streaming with Zoom. 
I have never done that, but there is a way to do that, you know, and, and there's other tools out there you can take a look, but those are two, two of my favorites for sure. StreamYard, you mentioned that earlier. I, I tried that before. Uh, I think the reason I don't use it, I couldn't figure out how to push Switcher to StreamYard to everywhere. There's probably a way to do it, but I was set up on the other two. So, so my point is there's plenty of tools. Don't let the tools slow you down, use them learn. And the other thing is Jason Falls reminded me of this. Every time I see him, it feels like there's 47 dominoes that have to fall. Something doesn't work on a live stream. Don't sweat it. You know, just do what you can. And if it doesn't work, try it again later, or just do a podcast, you know, and, and use the podcast. I interviewed Jason recently for this podcast as well. So it surely is a small world. He didn't bring that. Okay. I'm going to ask him why he didn't bring that up on my podcast. Damn it. But, but yeah, that's great advice. I, I know I see restream.io. I, I hear about them a lot. I see them sponsoring a lot of podcasts. I went with StreamYard when I was doing this like two years ago, it was either like StreamYard or, or Believe. Uh, TV and I think those are or BeLive.tv. I think those are two really powerful, more you know, easier uh, low-tech solutions. Especially StreamYard was really easy for me. And I just want to you know remind people that I started my podcast literally speaking into my phone using the Voice app. And the voice app had a limitation of eight minutes, which limited my podcast episodes to eight minutes. So you can start low tech. <laughs> Out of curiosity, I mean, I just, you know, in full disclosure, as I got more serious in my podcast in Q4 2019, I did upgrade my mic to a Yeti, to like a Yeti $100 mic. And now I'm using a Rode podcaster, which is like a $200 mic. There are plenty of $100 mics that are, that are fine. A boom arm is like $10, $15. I did update my, my video camera. I have a MacBook Pro, but I always look fuzzy. And I, I saw some people that look really sharp. And then I realized that the uh, internal cameras in Macs are not really HD. They're really SD. So I did buy like a $90, you know, external video that does HD and I have a ring light. And I love my ring light with a little stand. It, I, I got a bigger, more expensive one, maybe about $100 so that I don't have the light always reflecting on my glasses. It's, it's tall enough and big enough. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's $400, but considering coronavirus, considering your personal brand, even if you're on a Zoom with clients, the lighting makes such a huge difference. The video, when I'm on a Zoom, with my friends, like Neil, it sounds like you're broadcasting for a radio station. So th those little things, you know, but you don't need to spend thousands of dollars. It's literally hundreds of dollars. And I mean, you're a little bit more advanced than I, I am, my friend. You're, you might be close to a thousand dollars altogether, but still uh, it's a great investment, especially if you're going to be doing this on a weekly basis. It's, it, it's an, it's a one-time investment, right? It's not like every week you're, you're investing. So that was just wanted to throw that in there. All great advice. Christoph, tell us about your book. Yeah, please check it out. Going live, live stream your podcast to reach more people. That It's coming out or it has come out by the time you listen to this March 10th. Of course, available Kindle paperback, about 200, 200 pages, uh, maybe a little bit more. We'll see. Every time I turn around, Neil, there's something new I want to add. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Facebook groups. I literally just added a chapter about how to live stream to your Facebook group because I think people forget about when you say Facebook, they think Facebook pages, which is yeah. fine. But, you know, there's some companies, they have significant Facebook groups that they should be using and you can do it. There's a couple steps that you have to go through to actually do that. But so I have a whole chapter about that. How do you do it? Why do you do it? Et cetera, et cetera. And it's once again, like all of my books, I would not recommend it to cuddle up with a glass of wine to, you know, you're trying to read something. It's entertaining, right? But it's, it's there to help you learn how to do it. It's there to not make the same mistakes I made. And, and we share all them in there, you know, or I share them all in there. 
that if, if I messed up on something and there's plenty of things to mess up, you know, yeah, I unmuted yeah. the wrong person. The camera was pointing at the wrong thing, whatever. So it happens, but yeah, hopefully it can help you take the podcast to another level. Certainly there's other ways to live stream too. You know, I don't really touch like the whole church sermon live streams that's or things huge. like that. Yeah. That is huge, but that's like its own book, quite frankly, you know? Yeah. So, so, the, so the target audience, so we've talked about live streaming in general, the subtitle for going live, your new book, is live stream your podcast to reach more people. So I, I take it that your target audience for the book originally was podcasters, but the concepts, whether you have a podcast or not, the concepts are universal to anyone. Is that, is that a correct assumption? It, it is correct. I mean, you, you can use this to, to live stream your kids' uh, basketball games or whatever, for example. And I actually live stream my kids' basketball game with two cameras on each side of the um, cord with the same model, quite frankly. And I think all the parents, all the grandparents, they love it. And then it has a score at the bottom. It's always funny because sometimes if I'm not at the game, my wife streams them just from her phone. And they always say, what's the score? Where's the score? Where's the score? <laughs> you know, because it's not nearly as nice as of a setup. So you can do that. But really, I think where you get the most value is if you're doing a podcast, if you're starting one. And I know there's a lot of executives out there who are saying we should do a podcast. This company yeah. is doing a podcast. That's really where you get like, a, that's where everything is covered in there, how you take it to that next level. But of course, you know, any live stream, there's things you can learn and, and tricks you can use for sure. That's awesome. I really appreciate your contribution because there's a lot of people and like, oh, you need to buy my live stream course. And there, there's a lot of people that probably overcomplicate it. And there's really no, I don't, and I'm sure you did your research. I don't think there's really any good books out specifically on the subject. So, you know, congratulations for, for being first to market. I know you're going to help a lot of people. I'm going to be pre-ordering my copy. I know that for all of you listening, if we do get this out before and you're able to pre-order, please do, because that really helps authors. And yeah, Christoph, thank you so much for sharing your, your, your wisdom, your advice for everybody. We're obviously going live is the name of your book. We can find that on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Where else can people reach out to you? And what's the name of your podcast? Yeah, they can also find it on AuthenticStorytelling.net. Feel free to check it out there. There is a link on there for signed copies in the U.S. only. Sorry, mailing is just a cost a lot yep. outside of the U.S., um, but you can order them there. They ship as soon as they get here in the middle of March. And then, of course, the Business Storytelling Podcast is my main podcast. But the other thing I want to mention quickly, the book also has a podcast. So if you don't want to necessarily read, you can check out the Going Live with Christoph podcast. It's available everywhere. I'm not sure if it's on Apple quite yet, but I'm really going through each chapter and talk about it. I'm not a fan of reading chapters, so I'm talking about them. But, you know, I think Joe Polizzi gave me that idea first because his will to die, he did that with his book. I was like, that's a good idea. I should do that too. And so now I publish podcast episodes and I also live stream them when I first record them. Of course, why wouldn't I? That's the topic of the book. That's very cool. I, when I came out with the age of influence last March, I created one episode where I read the first chapter, but as I was reading, it was like an audio book where you're sort of ad libbing and, and adding a little color. Um, that was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully the listeners got a lot out of that. So if you're interested, buy the book, watch the live stream, listen to the podcast, Christoph is there to help you get to the next level and really understand and make it part of what you do and who you are. So Great advice. Thank you so much, my friend. Wish you only the best of luck. Thanks for having me. Good luck with everything. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was a really good reminder for me of the importance of live streaming and live stream video and taking live stream video and repurposing that in a video 
it's just a, a no-brainer that at some point I myself have to be doing more of as well. So I listen with intent. I hope you took notes and I hope more importantly that you are going to take action. Speaking of action, I want to thank those who have already applied to become founding members of my Digital First Group Coaching Membership Community. It is launching. Well, I'm recording this. Well, by the time this publishes, it'll be out there. It launches April 1st. I'm launching with my founding members. And on a monthly basis, I am going to be taking your applications. And obviously, over time, I see the price of this continue to increase as we get more members, more content is compiled, and, and just honestly speaking, more value is provided to every new community member. So check out neilshafer.com slash membership for more details and learn how you can also apply to become a member. Sorry, you can't be a founding member anymore, but it doesn't mean that you can't take full advantage and it still, I believe, a very, very reasonable uh, monthly price for the support, accountability, networking, and the knowledge that you're going to gain from being a part of the community. I also want to thank all of you, as always, for your reviews, your subscriptions, uh, your comments on the Instagram messages and uh, the emails and what have you. Thank you so much. It is what keeps me going. I'd really appreciate if you had a minute, just jot something down on uh, Apple podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to this. And hey, if there is someone you want me to interview, a topic that you'd like me to cover, an ebook that you'd like me to write, I consider this podcast as almost a community. Uh, and I'd really love to hear from you and how I can help you and what you want out of this. So let me know. I'm in the process of uh, you know creating some new, what we call lead magnets, but ebooks and such to give you all more you know, content that you can utilize to, to help you on your journey wherever you are. But hey, that's it for another episode. Wherever you are in the world, make it a great virtual social day. Bye-bye and sayonara.